I'm Dan Bidwell. I'm the minister here at church, and it's so good to have you today. Uh, as we begin our sermon, I've got a question for you. What does it mean to be human? This is the question that we asked before at the beginning. What does it mean to be human? Uh, in the Smithsonian, uh, uh, Washington, D.C., the Museum of Natural History, that's the question that you're asked as you walk into the Hall of Human Origins. The Smithsonian, what does it mean to be human? Uh, the Smithsonian uh, uh, exhibit is all about how humans are different from other animals, uh, different from apes and primates. Uh, it's an exhibition about the theory of human evolution. Uh, is that what it means to be human, to be the pinnacle of, of evolution? Well, apparently in the museum, uh, and you can still do this online, visitors are asked to share what they think it means to be human. Um, so this is what some people said. One person said, to be human is to be full of self-doubt. Somebody else said it means to live in community and to seek to be heard. Somebody else said to be human is to experience joy and to be aware of it. Uh, somebody else said it means to strive for a life beyond mere survival and food. That's a good one. Um, somebody else said to be human is a search to understand our inner voice um, or to be capable of great and terrible things. Somebody else said being human is to love. Somebody else said... Uh, what it means to be human is that we get to create a future heaven or a future hell. That was an interesting one. And the last one said to live in mystery. There's so many answers, uh, answers to that question. What does it mean to be a human? Um, and I wonder how you would answer that question. Perhaps over morning tea you can do that. What does it mean to be human? But as we open the Bible today, we see God's answer to that question. Uh, to be human, Genesis 1 tells us, is to be made in the image of God and in His likeness. But what does that really mean? Um, that's the topic we're looking at today, to be made in the image of God. This is a foundational truth that is crucial to our understanding of ourselves and crucial about how we view God and how we view other people. So why don't we pray that God would speak now as we open His Bible. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to Your Word again, we trust that You'll speak to us through it. Help us to understand what it means to be human what it means to be made in your image, and what it means for us to live in the world that you've made. Uh, be with us now, just as you were over creation, speaking into it and bringing life. We ask you to bring new life as we hear you speak. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. John, am I using this mic now? Excellent. It means I can move. Um, as I said last week, um, this term we are spending our time in Genesis 1 to 11. Um, and these early chapters of the Bible are foundational. And they teach us foundational truths about who God is and the purpose of creation and, and what we're to do and to be as humans inside of creation. And as I said last week, these chapters are not like the Encyclopedia Britannica, which kind of dates me a little bit. Who, who had Encyclopedia Britannica? For those of you who are under, what, about 40? That was what we had before the internet. Um, and these chapters, they're not the Encyclopedia Britannica of the prehistory of the world. So um, these are not exhaustive biology textbooks or, or history textbooks. Um, Genesis 1 to 11, it speaks into those topics, but it doesn't answer every question that we want to ask. And, uh, and that's because Genesis 1 to 11 is not written from a human perspective. It's actually God's perspective on the prehistory of the world. And so our task as Bible readers then is, 
are actually to look at the record that God has given us and to find meaning there. And so we might be tempted to think, but, but what about this idea or, or what about that idea? Um, but my plan with the sermon today is actually to try and make sense of the passages that are in front of us and sometimes lean on the rest of the Bible. Um, but essentially, we're looking for the message that God is conveying in the particular words that we find in these passages and in the Bible a little bit wider. So we saw last week uh, in Genesis 1 that God created the, uh, the world and He created everything from nothing. Uh, he spoke and creation happened. There were stars and moon and, and sky. And God's particular attention, though, was on what happened on the earth. And so He separates sky from water and He creates land and He fills them with birds and fishes and plants and all of that. And uh, God declares all of creation good. Uh, but there's one last creature to be created, which is, of course people and uh, when the last creature is created God declares everything very good and this last creature uh, humanity mankind um, he says this about them then God said let us make mankind in our image in our likeness so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground and so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them. So the big question then is, what does it mean to be created in the image of God? What does it mean to be in his likeness? And so the first observation, I think, is that humanity is very much part of the created order. That is, humans are like the animals in one way, in that we belong to everything that God created on those first six days. We're, we're made in creation, and we're made for life within God's creation. Um, it is made even clearer in Genesis chapter 2, when it says, the, Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Uh, as humans, we're made from the clay of creation, the, the same matter that God used to form the earth and everything in it. Um, and this createdness, it makes us distinct from the Creator. So God is spirit, it tells us in John chapter 4, but we are flesh, and from dust we came, and to dust we'll return. And this createdness, it rejects the notion that humans are somehow divine, that we belong to God, or that, that we're part of God, or that we are gods. Um, that idea could be found in ancient Near East culture, um, in some of the cultures around the people at the time the Bible was written. And, um, and in fact, you'd probably find that in some modern spiritualities too, the idea that people are divine, people are somehow gods. But Genesis 1 and 2, it rejects that idea. Humans are part of the created order. We are not gods. Um, that doesn't make us mere animals though. Um, French Mathematician, philosopher Blaise Pascal said, man is neither angel nor beast. So out of all of the created being, humans are given this special dignity. No other creature is created in the image of God, not, not angels, not beasts. Only humans are created in the image of God. And that God-given image sets us apart from other animals. Um, we're more than mammals, we're more than primates. Some people have describe humans as trousered apes. Um, we are more than that. God's creation story teaches us that humans are created with purpose. And as we bear God's image, there's something about humanity that actually points to God and what God is like. Out of all of the creatures, uh, creatures in creation, we're the only creatures that disclose something about God. Now, before we move on to consider exactly 
how we bear God's image in the world, I want us to pause and think about the dignity that's bestowed upon every human person as a person made in the image of God. Um, as humans, right, we're so used to looking around the room and judging one another oh, by the clothes that we wear or the color of our skin or the shape of our bodies or a hundred other criteria, whatever you use to judge people. We judge one another and we assign people a value or a worth according to whatever measures we use them to measure against. To look at others like this, though, is to reject the innate value that every person in this world has purely by virtue of their createdness in the image of God. Um, I've said before that I visited Rwanda a number of times, uh, African country, uh, did some teaching over there. Um, most of us know Rwanda because in 1994 there was a genocide. Uh, over 100 days, 1 million Rwandans were killed. It was 10% of the population. It was terrible. And uh, one of the precursors to the genocide, as the two tribes fought against each other, it was a propaganda campaign that described the members of the minority tribe as cockroaches. So in schools and in pamphlets and on radio programs, um, the two tribes, and particularly the majority tribe, were encouraged to think of that minority tribe as cockroaches. They said, these people are cockroaches, they're not even human, they deserve to die, you don't even need to feel remorse because they're not human, they're just cockroaches. It's horrible, isn't it? Um, sat with Rwandans who remember that systematic dehumanization firsthand. And I wonder, are we so different? I've lived in America, I've lived here in Australia, and it's not hard to notice tendencies. Perhaps they're a bit more subtle, but we treat some people as lesser, don't we? We treat some people as lesser. It's something to reflect on. Um, every time we look down on another human being, we're actually rejecting the truth that they've been created in the image of God just like we've been. And we do it kind of reflexively as well. Um, and so Martin Luther King Jr., um, I love this quote from him. Uh, it's a bit musical in it. You'll, you'll hear that when we go. But he says, the whole concept of the image of God is the idea that all men have something uh, within them that God injected. And this gives man a uniqueness. It gives him worth. It gives him dignity. And we must never forget this. There, there are no gradations in the image of God. And this is where it gets a bit musical. He says, every man from a treble white to a bass black is significant on God's keyboard, precisely because every man is made in the image of God. And one day we'll learn that. We'll know one day that God has made us to live together as brothers and to respect the dignity and worth of every man um, and woman, I might add, who have written at a particular time. Uh, but if we take the image of God seriously in ourselves, then we need to see the image of God in those around us. And that's my first big take-home today. Um, in a polarized world, let's remember that all of our opponents, everybody who threatens us, everybody who we see as below us, or perhaps even those people we see as a bit more important than us, in God's eyes, they're all image bearers. They all are created with equal dignity and, and equal worth and equal value before God's eyes, and we ought to see them the same way. Sometimes we have the opposite problem. Sometimes we struggle to see ourselves as valuable as somebody who's made in God's image. Sometimes we feel like perhaps we're not even valuable to God. Um, there are so many ways that this world can rob us of our dignity and there are ways that other people can rob us of our dignity too and our value and our worth based on perhaps those factors before or just pure selfishness. If that's you, I want you to hear the word of the Lord today. Uh, you are created in God's image. You're special. 
God loves you. And nothing can change that. Nothing about what anybody else says or does can change the fact that you are very special to God. So there you go. First point, uh, dignity of being made in the image of God. Um, Second big idea about being made in God's image is that we are, as his image bearers, we represent God. The idea of representation. Uh, In the ancient Near East, when a king or an emperor conquered new territories, they would set up statues in the places um, where they were ruling. And what it meant is the people, as they saw the statues, they'd look up and go, oh yes, that's right, he's the new king, or he's the new emperor. And that's what those statues were for. They'd remember who was in charge. Well, when God creates humanity in his image, he's saying that humanity is designed like those statues. Um, humans are designed to point to the rule and dominion of God over creation. Now, I said it before, humans are the only creature that discloses something about God to the world because humans are the only creatures who display the image of God to the world. And I think it makes us a bit like brand ambassadors. Do you know what a brand ambassador is? Um, brand ambassadors for God. Um, I, I think of it a bit like school prefects. Uh, guys who are still at school, are prefects still a thing? No, they're not a thing. Okay. Well, in the old-fashioned world where I grew up, um, did anybody else have school prefects? I told this story in America, and they were like, what are you talking about? I had to call them hall monitors, um, (laughs) glorified hall monitors. Um, Well, a prefect in school, essentially, they're elected as brand ambassadors for the school. And so if you want to know the image and the values um, of a school and the kind of students that it aims to produce, well, you look at the prefects. Um, the prefects were the ones who always wore their uniforms correctly. They had their shirts tucked in. And um, if they saw you without your tie on or your shirt untucked, you could get a prefect detention. Do you guys miss out on that? What a shame. Uh, when prospective parents would come for a school tour, the prefects would be the ones who showed them around and you know, tell good stories about the school. They were the brand ambassadors for the school. And, and so if you want to know the image and the values of an organization, you look to their brand ambassadors. And so it should be with humanity. At creation, humanity represents the image and the values of God to the world. Um, Now, I know the analogy breaks down because um, brand ambassadors, they don't always live up to their reputation, do they? And we'll think about that more when we look at the fall in Genesis 3 in a couple of weeks. But at creation, humanity represents God in a unique way out of all of the creatures. And unlike statues, God gives humans this mandate to act uh, in the world on his behalf, to rule over the rest of creation. So we've seen it multiple times. God says, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. See, God gives humans the mandate to rule over creation, in the likeness of the way that God himself would rule over creation. Our ruling should represent the way that God would do it. So how would God rule over creation? Uh, Well, if we just stick to these chapters, God's rule over creation, or he rules over creation in a way that promotes order and flourishing and life. God's rule is a blessing to all of the creatures on earth. Do you remember that? He said it in 1 verse 22. He blesses them and he gives them He blesses them. So we see this picture of what it means to be made in the image of God and to share in his rule over creation. And we see that it's this privilege to represent our creator. Our rule on this earth should image God's goodness. Um, 
It should image his tender creativeness. It should image his nurturing provision. And so this is a mandate, I think, for creation care, not a license to abuse and exploit and pollute the earth's resources. And that's one realm where, as Christians, we can represent God to the world in the way that we care for creation. Uh, But of course, as God's people, uh, we represent God wherever we find ourselves in the world. And so as we rule over whatever God has given to rule over, perhaps a a family or a classroom or, or an office or just in a friendship group, God wants us to rule in a way that represents the image and the values of the one in whose image we're made. Now, in some ways, we're like God's prefects in the world, and people watch us as we go about our lives. They watch what we're doing. Um, As we work in offices or hospitals or schools or as we spend time in community groups or in our family or with our neighbours, people watch as we do our grocery shopping and as we take out the trash, as we drive our cars, especially if you've got a little fish on the back. Does anybody have a fish on the back? Got to behave yourself if you have that. (laughs) Sometimes they're the worst drivers, right? Sorry if anybody has one. All of these little moments, right, they're part of how God, uh, how God's people represent God to the world. And, and the way that we live in the world can actually disclose something of God to the people watching, whether that's for good or for ill. Um, Jesus himself said, you know, when you're given much, there's much responsibility that comes with that. So that's the second big idea. Humanity is made in the image of God to represent God to the rest of creation. So what happens when we don't do a good job? What happens when the image is tarnished? And that brings me to my final point, um, recreation. So in Genesis 1 and 2, um, we see humanity born into creation with great expectations put on them. They're created in the image of God to be his representatives and his agents in the world. And then we read Genesis 3, the story of Adam and Eve and sin and the fall. And humanity's reputation is tarnished. So what happens to the image of God in us after the fall. Well, as we read these foundational chapters of the Bible, we'll see that humanity wasn't able to live up to the high expectations that God has for us, to live as image bearers of God. Um, Whether you're a Bible scholar or not, you know that every human messes up, that we all sin in different ways. We never live in a perfect life. If people were to look at you and say, oh, your life, that is exactly what it means to be made in the image of God. Uh, If they knew all of your secrets, there's no way they would think it was true and that's because at the fall all of us are messed up by sin after the fall all of us have been tarnished in some ways some of the aspects of the image of God in us have been dirtied and being made in the image of God it implies having a special relationship with God and we see that in the early chapters before the fall in in Genesis 1:20 I'd actually love it um, God says be fruitful and multiply I assume he actually says that to Adam and Eve I assume he said that to them just like I'm talking to you now then chapter 2 we see God bringing Eve to Adam just like a father brings a daughter to be married and then chapter 3 we see God walking in the garden in the cool of the evening and has this special relationship with Adam and Eve because God created humans to have a special relationship with him but being made in the image of God it also conveys this idea of sonship being a son or a daughter of God so Adam is a son of God and um, Seth is uh, which is Adam's son is described as a son in the image of his father so we're 
sons of God, but at the full, that relational closeness between humanity and God, it kind of changes. And the break in the relationship is symbolized by God sending Adam and Eve out of the garden. And that relationship between God and humans is ruined. Um, Rule is also ruined or or at least complicated after the fall. And we'll see when we get to Genesis chapter 3 that our relationship with the creation becomes marked by difficulty and toil and the orderliness of creation becomes marked by thorns and thistles instead. And the fruitfulness of chapter 1 is now marked by difficulties in reproduction. The idea of representing God is also tarnished at the fall. Humans no longer faithfully represent God to the world. Instead, we represent our own interests and our own purposes and our own priorities. And we have to wait till Genesis 12 for God to raise up a new man whose family will be God's chosen people and special possession. And through this man, God will bring blessing to the world once again. And and from his offspring, God will raise up a new representative, another one, in the very likeness of God, whose reign and rule will never end. And of course, that plan finds its fulfillment first in Abraham, and then in King David, but ultimately in Jesus. It's like Sunday school, isn't it? The answer is going to be God, Bible, or Jesus. Um, That plan finds its fulfillment in Jesus. Because it's in Jesus that we see the image of God completely and perfectly lived out. I'm the firstborn over creation that Adam could never be. Um, It says this about Jesus. The Son is the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn over all of the creation. You want to see the image of God? Look at Jesus. He's what it looks like perfectly. And then in Hebrews, it says, the Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His being, sustaining all things by His powerful word. So Jesus, he's the perfect human. He's the perfect image of God. He's the true son of God. And he's the only one who can restore that image of God in us if we allow him to recreate our lives. Because that is the good news of the story of the Bible. God's intentions for us are still good, just like they were at creation. Despite our sin, God still sees us like we were at creation as his image bearers. And he longs for us to have that image recreated in us to see the tarnish of sin wiped away and and to see us living according to the purposes that he created us for. So God is in in the business of bringing order back to our lives and reshaping the clay of our bad decisions and restoring us to flourishing and blessing when we realign our lives towards Jesus. That's what God wants to do for us. Um, Jesus endured the cross exactly for that reason. Um, And I love this. John Calvin, um, the great reformer, he says about this. um, He says, The face of Christ, dishonored by spitting and blows, has restored to us that image which had been disfigured and almost effaced by sin. Do you see what he's saying? The image of us, the image of God in us was kind of uh, tarnished and disfigured. And then Jesus becomes physically disfigured so that we can be restored. I love that. This doctrine of the image of God, it's, it's one of those amazing doctrines in the Bible. And the idea that the God of creation would bestow dignity upon us and honour us in the way of making us higher than everything else in all of creation. He'd give us that responsibility of representing him to the world. Despite our failings, he wants to fix that image in us too. Um, it's pretty amazing. 
That's all I've got to say. Let me pray for us. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this idea that we are made in your image. In Psalm 8, it says, What is mankind that you are mindful of them, and human beings that you care for them? You've made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. Father, it is amazing to think about being made in your image. We thank you for the honor and the privilege and the responsibility that that is. We know that we are not your perfect representatives at every moment. We pray that more and more you'll help us to live like Jesus in the world, bringing you glory and honor in everything we do. And we thank you for restoring your image in us through the recreative work of the Holy Spirit as we trust in Jesus day by day. Father, we especially ask you to recreate the broken parts of us that don't reflect your image. Heal our sinful tendencies and our selfishness in relationship and our our judgment of others. Help us to be grace-filled as we live and rule and take care of the lives that you've given us. In all things, help us to point to you and to give you the glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.